Come on. All right. Now we can get the hilarity started. Welcome, folks, to another full house on Mentioned and Dispatches. Uh, Mike, we have managed to stay in sequence this far into the season, which I think is probably a new record for us. Season 10, episode 10. Mike, welcome back. Glad to be back. That's that's the first time ever. Yeah, we've never been in order ever. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had one season where we only made it to eight episodes, so that wasn't a problem. But uh, other than that... That, that hardly counts we, as a season, though. It's only eight I episodes. know. We, we've, we've managed to, to get something out of order every season up until now, um, and I probably jinxed it. So, uh, Brian is also back. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you for having me. Are, are we live in the Tiki Bar and Rum Grotto, or are we elsewhere at Castle? Well, Island? as you may know, my game room is right next to the uh, Rum Bar and Tiki Grotto, so close enough. Close enough. Fair enough. All right. And for the first time here on Mentioned in Dispatches, no stranger to the Dragoons, but but a fresh face here on the podcast, Mr. David Heath of Lock and Load Publishing. David, how are you? How are you doing? Thanks for having me, guys. Um, it, it, dude, it has been way too long since we've had you on any kind of podcast. Uh, it's also been way too long since we've sat down and had a beer at a convention sometime. So we're going to have to fix both of those at some point. Yes, we will. We'll start with the podcast since that's what we're already here to do. <laughs> Earlier in the season, Brian, well, so when we were pitching ideas for top Topics for this season, Brian brought up the idea of let's talk about AI. And when I said, Well, are you talking tabletop stuff? Are you talking digital stuff? He said, Why not both? So we already did a show on digital AI, and now we're circling back around to talk tabletop AI. And so, Mike, you do solo gaming all the time, so you've played around with all sorts of tabletop bots. David, your company publishes a whole bunch of solo stuff, so we figured we'd drag you in here. Plus, you know, you're just a nice dude to talk to. And Brian, <laughs> I, you're here because this is all your fault. Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. So, so with that in mind, Brian, take us through sort of where your thought process was going, assuming there was a thought process. Take us to where it was going <laughs> and giving, uh, what you had in mind for tabletop AI as, as you envisioned it. Well, you're giving me way too much credit here. Uh, but uh, my thinking was, you know, uh, AI now is, as we talked to in the other episode, is advancing so damn fast. Uh, but at the same time, uh, PC games and PC war games haven't really seemed to have kept up. And at the same time, you know, I think... We have made some strides as far as board games go, as far as AI goes. But let's be clear about what AI is in a board game at this point. It's usually a flow chart of some type, you know, saying if there's so much of an enemy here, you do this, roll the dice, whatever. It's not technically, I don't know if you would even classify it as an AI. It's more of just a process to, you know, uh, play uh, solo. I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, David, I know he has, he's transferred his board games over to the PC realm. Uh, I'm just curious if there's been any carryover from that onto the actual board games themselves, or it's basically just a matter, well, if you want to play solo, go play the uh, PC games. Um, no, we, our goal was we thought about trying to make something that was purely AI driven or ran you know, strictly by cards or some other method. And the problem is you really have to dumb down the games to some degree to be a truly solo game. And it, and it also depends on the subject matter. Tactical squad game, that's eh, really getting difficult. You know, uh, a playing game or a, a certain battle or mission, a lot different. Um, so we found that we don't call things um, AIs anymore. We call them solo assistants. Um, my personal worst thing about AI 
is I cannot swap sides and play the other side, even if it's, you know, card driven or whatever, because I know what I'm planning on doing and I can't disengage my thought process when I go to the opposite side. So with the solar assistant systems, um, I like that because I don't know what's going to be activated, how it's going to be activated or what it, I'm supposed to attempt to do with that activation in the game. So it makes it playable to me, honestly. I can't play solo otherwise. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. That's kind of uh, what I've seen with uh, like the Stuka Joe system and so forth. Not artificial intelligence, so to speak, but just kind of a, you know, helping you along. And so you have a, uh, how would you put it? Like you said, it's hard to disengage yourself. You know, you basically got to have a split personality to play solo on some of these games. And that kind of helps you out with that, you know, putting some randomness into the game. Well, you know, it, what we found was when we played on Lock and Load Tactical um, on the board game, we told people, people would say, hey, I don't, I wouldn't do that. And we said, let it do what it wants and then see what you think. And nine out of 10 times they came back and said, oh, it almost beat me. And it's not because you're, it's so smart. It's because it's playing one gentleman's way of playing style, which is not yours. And since the cards mm-hmm. will tell you to do things, and if you just let the cards follow, try to follow the cards, it does do things you don't anticipate, which is what is simulating the opponent. I mean, when you play, if you I play against you, you will do things I am not anticipating and vice versa, not even counting on the dice rolls to modify things. To, to be fair, I wouldn't know what I was anticipating to do if I was playing against you. So. <laughs> the, it, Brian, the way you describe sort of those very rudimentary flow charts, which, which can have some complexity to them, if you've sure. seen sort of the solo bots for the coin games, for instance. Trunk, yeah. The, for, those uh, aren't terribly different than very early computer AI that was only capable of so much sort of artificial thought in its process. So, you know, board games have sort of caught up to where computer games were in the mid eighties, but, but, you know, to, to your point, there is only so much you can program into the cardboard. Uh, David, you mentioned that, you know, sort of playing two handed, doesn't always work for you mike's made like a whole you know extended youtube show out of this so mike talk to us about playing multi-handed here well you know and i've heard people say what david has said that they can't play the other side because they know what they're going to do but remember that there are there's many ways of approaching solitaire gaming and if you're going to sit down with uh, say a civil war battle and you're going to have uh, you're going to play out the battle and you want to see what the historical outcome would be if say the confederates did x instead of y you don't really need to think about trying to beat yourself or or you know doing something that you're going to have to forget about when you play the other hand you're tr- you're doing the best you can for both sides and you're you, before you even start gaming you're going to want to come up with a plan for the confederates and a plan for the union and see how it works out if you get into a situation where maybe you have to make a decision go to the dice that's what they're there for assign probabilities and role if you're trying to compete what i call competitive gameplay you want to play someone to win the game you're going to have a problem you're not going to be able to do that right you don't have an opponent you have yourself there's things you can do even then to make it a little bit more approachable but it it depends on what type what what you want to get out of the solitaire game yeah that makes sense i can see that see i i I look at that the second you start you know when you sit down and play a game you make a plan up the second you start playing against a person that plan will have to be adjusted maybe from turn one or turn two or whatever turn on and that process is where i think i lose it because i already know what my plan is or my plans because considering what side i'm on yeah and even there there's things you can do to to, to make that happen with just one player. And I'm, I'm going to do some things actually coming up on the channel that kind of shows that. 
if you look at role-playing games, I mean, there are people playing role-playing games by themselves. They have GMs that are virtual, they're, they're books basically, and you're rolling on tables. So I, I think it is possible. I think there's some interesting space there that we just haven't really approached in wargaming. So, you know, Stuka Joe's system obviously is probably the, the famous one, but the solo assistance that Dave has for, for a bunch of the different lock and load games do give you that air of unpredictability in the, the decks that you're flipping your way through. Dave, talk to us a little bit about sort of how that solo assistant was developed and and kind of the intent behind what you guys were going for and, and how, how close you actually got to the target by the time it was all said and done. Well, we have to give academy games uh the first handoff to that because it was his solo assistant for company of heroes is it called or conflict of heroes Heroes, sorry and um we looked somebody tried to change use that for lock and load and it quickly piqued my interest and what he was trying to do was really turn our game into more of a command point system and um, I'm good friends with Uwe, and I said, "Hey, can we, you know, license this from you and do, uh, you know, convert it?" And that that's what became LNLT Solo. And we made it very generic, so it would work with any of the old games. And the problem we found was it didn't. Um, it, it works well, but it, it lacked a lot, and it also made the play very similar across. I don't care if you're in Libya playing one of our battles or in on the Eastern Front. So Sean Drillinger and I sat down and redesigned it really totally differently. And Sean came up with the spreadsheets uh, and the flowcharts. And really what it comes down to is the flowcharts are there for the person who really doesn't understand or know what they should do next. You don't need the flowcharts at this point. So it'll say, you know, what happens if you see a tank in a squad and which one's closer? If this one's closer, then do this. And it's you know basically a, a flowchart. The cards, um, those got really redeveloped. And that was from taking all the complaints and comments and ideas that people have given us on the card. So I would say the development of the In Heroes of the Bitter Harvest, we basically stopped using the LNLT solo. And we made the cards and the solo and everything else built into that game. So the events um, that come in those in that game can be uh, adjusted directly to the solo. We did things like... Um, it was set that once a deck was done or one of the cards told you to shuffle, you would reshuffle. But you always had the same amount of chance of reshuffling. We changed it so we can tell you in the scenario, hey, you only get one reshuffle card. So unless the deck runs out, there's no chances of reshuffling. Or we can say, stick six reshuffle cards in there. So yeah. now they're separate okay. cards and it will reshuffle a lot more given cards you may have played much faster chance to get back in the game. And then we also added one star and two star cards so you can make it more defensive or more offensive based on what side the AI is playing with the cards. So I would say, yeah, at this stage, I'm pretty happy with it. We added events, uh, blank event cards, so people who wanted to make their own scenarios could write them into the, into a scenario design, but use a card with the system. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So David, I have a question for you then. You mentioned the cards that had stars, whether they were uh, assaulting, I guess, or defending. What would happen in the example that you asked me if, say, that the situation started to change from the AI opponent being on the defense to maybe going on the offense? Do you actually change out the cards during the game, or does he stay on the defense? Well, being that the scenarios are uh, co-designed, or, you know, designed ahead of time, 
um, Devin using luck on the tactical, what we would do is there's two sets of cards. They're generic cards. We'll call them generic cards that are in every deck, no matter what. And then there's red and blue cards. The red cards, I believe, are offensive, and the blue cards are defensive. And there's red star, gold stars and, and silver stars, and the gold being more intense depending upon what deck you use. So you always have offensive and defensive capabilities in both decks. It just will change how offensive you're going to be or defensive. And sometimes the scenario will tell you to use both, you know, offensive decks or use one, or it may even tell you to use all four decks and mix them in there. It depends on what he's trying to achieve with the scenario. So we don't change out during the game, but we do have you pre-build the deck before you start. Okay. Dave, just as we are recording this, Bitter Harvest is not yet back from the printer, correct? Oh, it, no, it's on a... It's on the sh- on the dock now in LA. I'm just I know it may even be in a truck heading to me because no one tells me anything until it gets to the door. Basically. So okay, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not being state. printed. It's in transit. It's in transit. Yeah. Okay. Actually, the late pledges close tomorrow. Well, tomorrow. by the time people are hearing this, it'll be too late. So, okay. <laughs> so tough. That's what you get for sitting on this for a year because you've been soliciting this one for a while. So. Um, and so, so Heroes of Bitter Harvest includes the solo assistant in the box. Yeah, it's a what we're going to be doing going forward is the game will have every lock and every one of our games. If it has a, to- a, a tactical or a solo system to it, it's included in the box. The battle generators are included in the box, which can be used with the solo cards. The solo cards do provide um, solo events that you can just randomly pick or choose to play, so you can still get that. And it also has what is currently called RPG, but I think we're going to change it to career. So you can actually play a counter in the game as a leader and track your battles and how many points you get and change your stats on your particular leader. So no, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty neat. Now, can, be, go ahead. I'm sorry. And so that will be within with every game that we do now. What we're trying to do is you buy a box and you don't have to go crazy looking for anything else. Everything is there and you're good to go. There's no expansions to the expansion with the expansion that you need to <laughs> from another game to use. Huh? No, 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 but no monsters editions either. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the 10th season of the Armchair Dragoons podcast, mentioned in Dispatches. Let's thank all of our Patreon supporters who pledged at the top level. A huge thank you to Staggerwing, Martok, Patrick Geraghty, Fred and his dog, Mike Quigley, Joseph Knorr, Treb Corey, Robert, Patrick Mullen, Kevin Bertram, Chet Bell and Hellcat6 for their support of the Armchair Dragoons in helping us to bring you the best strategy gaming content on the web. You too can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchair dragoons. Now let me ask, uh, a big uh, shift in uh, just tabletop gaming in general is... uh, having uh, your games to be app-driven. Some are entirely app-driven. You know, you have to have that app in order to play the game. Have you considered uh, developing an app instead of, you know, for somebody, I don't know, you're providing the cards. I'm sure, you know, based on that, it wouldn't be too hard to develop an app. Of course, I'm talking out my ass here. It might be very difficult, but, <laughs> you know, it doesn't sound like it would be all that difficult to, uh, you know, transfer this over to an app. Dave's thinking, well, I spent all those years trying to get out of the video game business. You're trying yeah. to get back in. <laughs> Like I said, I always enjoyed the computer game. I actually enjoyed computer games more than board games. Don't anyone hear that, but <laughs> he says on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but um we we are 
here's the whole thing. We wanted the uh, board gamer to have everything he needed in the box. The, we we have and we are looking at putting the solar uh, assistant for like Heroes of the Bitter Harvest or something into an app, okay? I don't think it gives the board gamer a lot of woohoo because you, you got everything you need in the cards. And I think in a way it slows down the gameplay because you can just flip a card where you have to hit the app and the app is going to have to ask you something to get you to go forward, you know? So yeah. the thing we wanted to do with the app a little bit is add the dice roll into the app, Okay. And have it keep a lot of statistics for you in the sense of how many sixes did you roll during the game or 12s or whatever. So you can just see what your overall event was. Um, and also we thought maybe adding some type of background sound effects. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Talonsoft, old computer game company from the Absolutely. Guess, 80s. Oh, yeah. We're that old. We're, we're all that old, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I used to love about their games is like East Front and all that was they always had that background track of, our, you know, gunfire in the background far away or artillery barrage going down every now and then. It just helped put you in the game, I think, a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're all – Dave, I'm 50 and I'm the youngest guy on this call. <laughs> we're, we're all of that age. <laughs> so, Dave, I guess another question for you, and we talked about this on our solo podcast not too long ago. So it sounds like with, with the games that you are putting out there that will have this solitaire component added with the box, you can play any scenario in the box, right? You can play anything that's in the box. There's no need to have a special scenario just for solitaire players. Correct. Yeah, see, I think every, that's awesome. That's, that's scenario, the way I think. I'm sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say every scenario in this game and the games going forward have a complete solitaire setup. In each scenario. So when you get this a scenario, you get the regular scenarios playing normally. And then we put a little counter that's just um, inverted, basically. So you can only see like a black and white silhouette. And that tells you these are solo setups. And um, one of the things that we did with this game was we have designed um, a setup procedure that's, I'm not going to say random because it's really not totally random. But you're not guaranteed where the units are going to start in general. Right. So you can actually play the same scenario multiple times solo and get totally different setups. And some of the players have liked it so much, they actually use the same system to set up their <laughs> pieces because the argument has been made that, well, you never know when the battle directly is always going to start. So you may not be in perfect position. If you set up the units yourself, you always get them where you want it. But what if the guy was in a different hex and now he's out of line of sight? or he's in the fox or when he could have been in the trees or something like that. So they like that because now it takes the challenge even more so on the setup, which is not totally in their control, and then they have to fight. Yeah, that's interesting because you're playing multiplayer, right? You have two people there, and you get to know your opponent, and he's going to start doing the same thing over and over. But if he uses what you're talking about, there's some randomization there that helps uh, make yeah. even you know face-to-face -face play different. So that, that's really cool. To, to ask a follow-up clarifying question to where Mike was going, um, you're talking about solo out of the box with the different scenarios. I, I'm going to assume that because of the way the solo assistant works, that you could play either side solo. So in an East Front game, you could play the Germans or the Russians um, as the solo player in the exact same scenario. Every scenario in this, I'm not going to guarantee that every game that will be right, but right now, oh, yeah. <laughs> every, every scenario can be, and, and that's even with the old system, every yeah. scenario can be played on either side. Yeah. yeah. So it, the, to for context, both for Dave and for anybody else that didn't hear the earlier podcast with Wayne and, and Mike, and it, when we were talking about the different solo games, uh, 
one of the key components to that, that that was a sore spot for the folks talking about solo gaming is that there are publishers that will advertise a game as being, you know, one or two players. Hey, it's solo friendly, but then you get it and you open it up and there's one solo scenario in there or the solo rules are basically uh the germans defend the russians attack do your best and and that's not it's not really the the level of solo support that folks are really looking for in those kinds of games i mike i don't think i've misrepresented your position at all there right nope i think you stated it exactly yeah so so the idea that the solo assistant can first of all be used with with most if not all of the scenarios out of the box rather than just one or two of them and the idea that you could flip it around and play either direction with that solo assistant, I think is is a huge boon to what what our solo gamers from that previous episode were all talking about. I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, and and you can set and the setups will be different every time. One of the things that I always thought was interesting in in the tabletop AI space. So first of all, the the coin series games. I mean, Labyrinth had the table tie, had the the solo assistant to it, but you can only play one of the sides with it. Whereas the coin games, you had the solo bot that you could apply for any one of the different factions for most of those games because they're four player games. The great thing about that is if only if you only got three people there, you can still play the four player game because you guys just collectively run the solo bot there. There are two things that I always thought were kind of interesting about the the tabletop AI that's built into those GMT particular games. One, this is a trick I learned from from James Sterrett, um, is the the flow charts that you get as the solo player for the coin games are actually very useful for teaching a new player what to do. You hand them the, the flow chart and you say, hey, for the first two or three turns, follow the flow chart. Do what's in here. Um because it's not always going to make the best available move on any given turn, but it very procedurally lays out the decision-making and it's not going to make a dumb move. It's it's not going to lead you down to some just really asinine, stupid thing to do. It, it's still going to lead you to a competent decision, but then you can follow the decision tree as you go through it. So for a new player, just learning how to play in this case, following that, that solo AI is a useful learning tool. The other thing that I always found kind of interesting, I get, Twilight Struggle is is sort of the uber game that that is super popular way beyond just the war game crowd. And it makes sense that GMT would want a digital version of that out there for folks. You've got an AI already scripted for every one of those factions in those coin games. Why haven't they built those into digital games when the AI is already written? It seems like that would be a... Dave's going to tell me all the reasons I'm wrong. And look, my day job is IT program manager. You would think I would know why all of the, you know, why this is hard. But rather than have to build an AI from scratch, you've got the bones of one right there. Start with that and then, you know, bolt onto that as you, as, as the digital computing power gives you the ability to. Seems like that would be a no brainer for a digital adaptation. Um, that's not really what we're here to talk about. But the, the, well, I can tell you for walking the that as a learning tool, I think is a really, really neat use case. Dave, you're for lock and load tactical, we discussed using that and quickly decided no. And the reason is because the computer programmer, God willing, and we, you know, we're using Tom Praffer. We've had I've had him work with me for 20 years now. He's such a better programmer than we are card designers. 
is really what it comes down to. And he can he can customize a scenario or an AI um, to do things that you just can't on a card game. I mean, an old Steel Panthers World at War, Brent remembers the good old days for that one. When we designed that um, AI to play solitaire, the way the computer generically played, which it does not do anymore, was when you got a, an objective, all the AI controlled units moved to that directive to attack it, okay? So it was very easy, you know, well, I won't take that objective until the last turn. The AI won't bother me, and then I can just scoot in. And people learned that very quickly. Yeah. And what we did to cheat was we put objectives on the map that no one can see but the AI. So what happened was when you drove down the road, you triggered a victory point that the AI was like, oh, my God, he's coming. And he would uh, uh, go after that. And you would think, hey, it's reacting to my movement. No, you're just moving over something that the AI thinks is an objective and attacked it. And those are things that the cards are never going to give you. Yeah, yeah. Invisible phase lines. Right. And the, yeah. and the rules can be followed so much more precisely by the AI compared to a card deck. In card deck, you have to know what you're doing. If you keep playing that same rule on assault wrong, the AI is not going to stop you. It's just going to keep you know, letting you make the mistake because it doesn't even know it's a mistake. I mean, look, anybody that's scripted a variety of different digital games knows that there's all sorts of different little hacks and tricks that you can do with that. Um, I did some scripting on VBS2 for a while. This was 15 years ago almost at this point. But it was, uh, again, very similar, right? You're going to put some invisible somethings out there to have the AI react to it because otherwise it wasn't really sophisticated enough at the time to, to do that for you. That was VBS2. I think VBS is up to version 4 or 5 at this point. So it's uh, I, I would hope that the AI has gotten better. Brian, what else you want to talk about with with tabletop AI here, man? Well, I think a system like days with the lock and load tactical kind of I think this would be the perfect type of thing going forward into the future. You know, I've talked before about, you know, AI is learning to play games but on its own and stuff like that. I foresee in the future the game system such as lock and load might be played, you know, you might be able to play using your laptop or something, but you still have your board out and be able to play on an online server against an AI who's very, you know, you would be able to play all the different modules and everything. And it, the AI itself will know the system, okay? And you will play against that. I mean, that's what I, I mean, it's not obviously going to happen next month, but I kind of see that happening in the future. I, I totally agree with that. I think if you look at what's going on with AI right now and the whole chat GPT thing and AI is making art and music, I, I think that at some point, and I don't, it may not be that long, where you'll you'll set up your board game, point a camera at it, and play against something like a chat GPT that'll no actually, doubt. you make your move and then, okay, computer, what are you going to do? And then it makes that move. I, I would, I would argue that those AIs still have a little bit of room to grow. If you ever want to want a good bit of hilarity go hit the chat gpt ai and ask it to write the wikipedia article about you you i mean you, you know these ais we are in the the infancy stage of the ai and i yeah, think we are i think it's after some time it's not gonna take long i mean yeah these things make mistakes now but i, I think and i hate to say it because you know we all saw terminator but i think i think they're learning <laughs> I, th I think eventually it's it's gonna it's gonna reach a point where you won't know you're talking to a computer absolutely mike i think you're you're dead on on that you're going to get us off onto a tangent of which future is worse, Terminator or the Matrix? Well, there's another, you know, some people think we're living in a uh, simulated reality, so maybe we're already there. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, we haven't even seen an AI that just, um, 
you know, something where you put out your board, you're making the moves, and the AI, you know, using a computer AI to play it reacts to, you know, I don't know, some type of solo system where you move here. The AI, like Mansions of Madness by Fantasy Flight Games, okay? It's an AI, it's a uh, app-driven. And, you know, based on where you move, different events are going to happen, different enemies will show up, and so forth. I don't think we've even seen anything like that in the uh, wargaming world, have we? No, but have you, I mean, have you seen it in the computer gaming world? I mean, look look at well, the, the computer games. Everybody points to computer games as being, well, if they all have AI, you know, board games don't. But really, I mean, a computer game, it doesn't really have an AI to it. it when we call it an AI, it's really just a bunch of responses to inputs. And it's just... Yeah, there, there's, there's some procedurally generated stuff there uh, in, in the computer game. Brian, I, I would... So first of all, you do see it in more than just Mansions of Madness. The immediate things that spring to mind are other Fantasy Flight games actually oh uh, right but i'm talking war games specifically yeah. we haven't seen no it. so yes and no the the john i think it's butterfield that designed them the d-day at fill in the blank has a couple of of sort of scripted appearance kinds of things based on the actions you're taking the the enemy reacts a certain way and the variety of different color coding that's available for who's shooting where under what circumstances are are all available there so so there is some of that built into to games like that the uh the valiant defense series from david thompson friend of the dragoons does some variable appearances based on some you know some actions that you've taken turn to turn the states of siege series also depending on actions you've taken will trigger different events as look the states of siege games are essentially tower defense with with, with a little more variability in them um in in some special events but they do uh alter their behavior closing in on you depending on what's happened from turn to turn some of them are better than others the alamo there's only so many different variations on a theme you can put on human wave attacks on the alamo right there's just not much you can do with that but like empires in america the british do behave differently depending on what the french did in the previous turn there is some variation in in what they do uh i've not played uh ottoman sunset or habsburg eclipse but i've been told that those both behave similarly as well so so there is some some difference there. Dave, we talked some about the solo assistance that you've got for the lock and load tactical stuff. Um, the solo assistant has been applied to some of the other games you guys have as well, right? You've sent the solo assistant out with World of War 85. There, there's a solo assistant for that. Yeah, it's a lot easier with World of War 85, Nations at War, because it's not tactical. Yeah. Smaller the scale, the worse... The, the worse the AI, or the more, let's just say the worse, the more complicated the AI has to become because it's just so much to, to do. Plus, lack of, uh, World at War and Nations at War, they're activation-based. Exactly. So it, it makes it easier, too. Um, and those, again, they were generic, and they were made to be able to be played with the older games. The new Blood and Fury game that's in production now, that one has its own AI with special things like one to load and unload units, you know, You've never had that in a, in our games before. I mean, I can't say other games, our games. Yeah. So, and I tell you this too. We we did something. Um, we started making what we call companion books. And okay. the companion books are um, every single scenario, every single player raid card, and anything you might need to play online with Vassal or Tabletop Simulator. So you literally can go on Tabletop Simulator right now if you had the companion book, not own the game anymore, and play Solitaire, the board game, with the cards with Tabletop Simulator or Vassal. Mm. 
And so it's a way to keep the publishers, as far as I'm concerned, still getting some revenue in for the designer. But at the same time, we, we got told, there was two major complaints we got uh, from people as the pandemic was breaking out. I can't own all these games. My wife won't let me leave it on the dining room table for the next six weeks. <laughs> stuff like that. So when we moved it over to the... Uh, tabletop simulator stuff the problem was well now i gotta buy the board game and i i'm stuck playing this board game i'm having this board game for nothing else than the rule books and the scenarios uh or the tables in the scenario so that's why we made the companion book uh and it comes in the game so if you buy the board game you'll have it anyway but if you just wanted to buy the companion books you can still play solitaire play in tabletop on these different uh online systems i think you just got mike all excited <laughs> so well- I like that. I like that whole idea because especially I I wish more publishers would do that, Uh, especially for some of the uh, monster games that they uh, put out that you're never I got a big gaming table. I can't fit these monster games on my table. But at the same time, I don't want to buy the entire monster game, you know, just for the rule book so I can play it on Vassal or uh, Tabletop Simulator. Right. So our rule books are always free. We, we let you download our rule books for free. You can buy even a printed copy for free. So technically speaking, you can buy the, what we call the core rules, and then you can buy the companion book to the game you want, and you have everything you need to play it online. Dave, I wanted to ask some of the other solo stuff you guys do are not solo assistance for multiplayer games. You guys have a couple of dedicated solo games. Space Infantry is one that immediately springs to mind. Uh, Stuka Ace, I think, is 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 the crowdfunding campaign still going at this point? It's still going to about the. I don't even know. End of the month, we'll say. I, I don't Okay, really well, end of the month, and it will still be going by the time this podcast comes out. I didn't think it was going to wrap up in the next week or so. So you, you've got a couple of them that are purpose-designed solo games, not solo adaptations of a multiplayer game. Correct. They'll obviously need some form of AI built into that. Talk to us a little bit about how, not, not so much compare and contrast bolting an AI onto a two-player game, but how those AIs were developed and the kind of experience that as a player you would expect to get in that tabletop game most ai games that you play that are strictly ai okay i find are a scripted in the sense that um you're going through procedures you're basically playing a flow chart without a flow chart how's that yeah that's a fair i think it's a fair characterization and i don't think many people would dispute it yeah and those i mean Cortado, who designed both space infantry the original one and who's doing who did ju87 um he's just a unique mind in my opinion (laughs) (laughs) he he has the ability to really i mean the stuka game um really um caught devin and i by uh, surprise um, when he brought it to us and um, he was always open to uh, ideas and addressing certain things um, I also think a lot of it has to do with what are you trying to achieve in it and JU87 initially it was just a Stuka Poland and you went through the missions and then we added the you know the Spanish campaign and then we even added a campaign in China and historically they gave him one plane to try out the Japanese didn't like it and they ended up making the vow But we said, well, let's pretend a German squadron goes there and they're flying for the Japanese against the Chinese just, you know, to give a different theater, different weather, different bases. 
but the the sequence of what you're doing and how you're doing it, you know, it, it's got to be the same. And I, I don't think it's um, any different in, in a, a Dan Versing game or you know the, as a playing game or the um, or any of the other ones. The the big thing I heard about there's two types of AI games. Some are tons of dice you get to make no decisions. Um, our wing and a prayer um, kind of falls a little bit in that category. There's very few decisions you make. B, uh, what is it? Uh, B17. I can't think of any. Uh, yeah, the Queen of the Skies. Queen of the Skies, yep. the Hunter games. You're not really making decisions. You're basically playing a narrative. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. it's like a, like a, a, so some people you hate a nice chucker for the Choose Your Own Adventure book. Right. Yeah. So and, and some we, people want that. Some people want yeah. and, give and, me a variable story, but I, I'm I'm more interested in the story than I am in necessarily trying to to sort of fight something. I tell me a good story and have the story change each time you tell it to me. So what we did was Space Infantry Resurgence had just you know it's been out now for a while. We had a, a reviewer uh basically call me and says, This is horrible. Now the game did well, it won awards, but and he told me why. And, and so we sat down and we said, well, can we tell you? Because it wasn't telling the story. There was no purpose in why you were making some of these decisions. To us, it was great because you were making some decisions and not just battling through. Sometimes we made bad decisions and space aliens killed you. Other times you made decisions and based on what random alien may attack you or what path you took. See, to me, it's all about your choice. If I have to play the game once and it's really the same way each time, I kind of feel like we failed or it failed or however you want to Something went wrong. That. But now what we're trying to do is give you randomization and then throw the story in. And to go back to the earlier question about an app, we are really looking into, um, we've got some voice actors, music, sound effects. So as you do each step, so take space inventory, you go from square A to you know square B, based on maybe go square C. So if you have two different options, when you pick one, it will uh, kind of do what an app does. It'll play music, it will tell you what's happening, and then give you results based on what you've done and what you have. Um, you know what I think is really great? I did not care for U-Boat as an app. I, I felt like I was managing my kids trying to clean the house. <laughs> okay. But if you look at um, Return to Dark Tower, yeah. Um, if you remember that from being a kid, <laughs> you know, I had much it. I, it mine's in yeah. my garage, by the way. That, that is a fun, that app. I don't like fantasy games on, uh, for the most part, but I love that game. And it's quick, it's easy. The app only gets involved when it has to, but it's always playing music or some background stuff, or you hear something laugh evil in the background. So it's always engaged, and then you pick it to make when you make your choices, it's telling you what's going on. So we want to take that a step further when there's a narrative telling you, hey, you know, the room is dark or there's a candle flickering in the background, and add a little bit more to it. So we don't know if that's going to work yet. So we're going to try, but that's what we're trying right now. So I kind of like the app for that type of stuff, but only if it's uh, an enhancement to what's already in the, in the board game. Don't you have like three voice actors that actually work for you guys? Yeah, no, we have, we actually have more now because we, <laughs> we started, we started writing books yeah. to go. With I mean, not voice. guys that you hired to be voice actors, but like guys you hired to do other things who happen to also be voice actors on the side. Our graphic artist guy, Blackwell Heard, he has got to be one of the greatest voice actors I've heard just playing games with us, man. He is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, sorry for the background noise here. That was not voice acting. That was... Uh... <laughs> I thought you were auditioning. No, I was... 
I was tracking the hockey game on the side screen here. And after it ended, the autoplay video kicked in, which it shouldn't have because I thought I had autoplay turned off. But yeah, I was, I was, the, the Canes game went into overtime. So I was following the hockey game on the side screen here. <laughs> so I uh, busted, right? I mean, I, I got the hockey game on the side. Um, you'd think I'd do better about scheduling my own podcast for when there's not a good hockey game on some night. And yet, here I am. So the if you if you need a stray voice actor, I'll send my daughter over and let her do all kinds of kids' voices for you. Well, we'll see. Like I said, we, we are we have written books for Lock and Load Tactical, for Space Infantry, um, and they're they're made. We we turn them into audio books right away. Um, and um, again, it's just to help more immersion into the game. And and actually, the stories deliberately have nothing to do with the game as far as the missions you're playing. They're missions that are either taking place before after the game or or in unison with the game just to help you know, read it and I, I stole the idea honestly from hello and aliens you yeah. know you got the video games and uh there were books on it and my kids didn't care for the books as much as the audio books they can listen to when we we're in the car when they were younger and i said you know one of the greatest audio books i ever listened to is um tom clancy's um was it Red Storm Rising? Yeah, the world had all the, all the sound effects and everything everything in there. It was enjoyable. Yeah, I can see that. So, um, Mike, talk to us a little bit about your uh, your procedural game experience. I think you were one of those ones that was a little down on them, right? You mean the ones where you're just chucking dice and the narrative type games? <laughs> yeah, yeah, those that you. I'm love. not down on them actually. I, you know, it's just I don't. They're not my thing. I, I I get the point. I think we talked about that in our solo podcast. Um, th- there are people that want to hear a good story, like you had said earlier, and I, I think I don't think that's a problem. I think um, if you like that sort of thing, then great. Make there's there's a market for it. It's just not for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think given that you know the the America Bomber series and then defending America's skies, like that that series is now you know somewhere around five or six different games. Clearly, somebody's buying them, and now- uh, and and we're up to I think six or seven different either you know u-boat or u-boat hunting games as well that again clearly there is a market for these things somebody wants them or they wouldn't keep making them um you know dave you're a business guy if people want to keep throwing money at you to make a certain kind of product you're willing to take their money right (laughs) yeah i think what what happens with those is after a while like queen of the skies you've played it out and so person who can do the narrative with you know you have to basically make multiple paths for yeah. the same yeah. story and that becomes a lot of work yeah 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 there was a there was a very fascinating website that i stumbled across i don't know probably 18 months ago or so i might have even shared it in the forums mike you might remember seeing in the forums that somebody basically took a lot of those old mid 80s era choose your own adventure books and mapped out the story paths. I didn't completely like rewrite the whole thing, but sort of the decision tree of A to B and, you know, here it was actually linear for like three stops and then it started to branch again. Uh, but it was almost sort of the subway map of the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And I imagine something like that up front in the development process of one of those more narrative procedural games probably helps, especially if you're going to put something in where there's a lot more cross connections between the different storylines, where you're sort of jumping from storyline to storyline probably helps quite a bit. Um, At at this point, we've wandered off of wargaming a little bit here, but... (laughs) I, uh, you know, as a solo tool, I think that is, that's an essential tool. And it's one that a certain segment of the wargaming audience has, has, you know, fallen in love with there a little bit. 
I think one thing that uh, David had mentioned that is a really neat idea is you can add just a little bit of narrative flavor to an, you know, a war game. And he's doing that with his example of, you know, you pick a counter and guess what? That's you. You're that leader. And, you know, you so you follow your your counter as it progresses through a campaign. You're telling a story. There's a narrative there, right? Yeah. But you're still playing a war game. Dave, I think that that sort of campaign system that that rpg like system that you were describing that applies whether you're playing solo or opposed right it can it's up to you but yes yeah, yeah. so uh that does bring to mind when you start talking about tabletop game slash rpg hybrid i, I gotta ask what happened to the sci-fi rpg we just kind of we didn't do well as an rpg company because no one knows what the hell who we are i mean you play yeah. a word game lock and load comes up and what we it actually is pretty much done. And what we did was we took the RPG and we said, pause with that. And we're making a narrative space infantry because okay. we think if we can make the, we can make the space infantry work and then put the RPG into that. Now you can RPG with a narrative, with sound effects and everything else with space infantry. Now that is so a lot. You're going to change the world then basically you're, you're changing the background world in which it takes place. That, that's what we're looking at. Then. We, we, yeah. we have one mission done and now the guy who actually complained about the game, he's testing it and to see if we, we hit it right. And if we hit it right, then we're going to try a few more, add audio, add music, add sound effects and see how immersive it is. I still have it. It go. is a great game. It really is. The, the game's Falling Stars, just so folks know. Um, the it, It's... Look, it's an RPG with a heavy tactical flavor to it. Um, if you were a fan of 4th edition D&D, this is a game you will enjoy because of the tactical nature of it. Um, but I will tell you, the the first like 10 pages of the book with the background world in there, there's like 38 plot hooks. Yeah. It, it was a great read. It really was. If, if you're going to blow out more novels at some point, use use this. Like useful lots more novels. Those would be great. Yeah, well, I'd well, be well out the, merge, the merge is space infantry and falling stars, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But if you're taking the falling stars rules into the space infantry universe, like I get that, um, because the space infantry universe is a bit of a known known quantity. The falling stars universe background had some great hooks in there. It was a it was a fun book to read. So the black will be happy to hear that. <laughs> Well, tell him because I will tell him. I would definitely will tell him. He, he deserves course, it, was, it. Was a great book to read. Of course, remember that Brant owns about uh, a ten thousand RPG books because he just loves to read them. So keep that in mind too, D dude. <laughs> do, do we have to? Do we have to put the pot and kettle meme as a part of this episode? No, because I actually own a copy of Falling Stars too. <laughs> yeah, we we had a conversation going in one of the threads on the forums about somebody to ask like how many different RPG products do you own, and and Mike wow. and I both had the same reaction like holy shit, this is gonna take a minute, <laughs> and, and be and be very very embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, just, so, so I. I started a list of just core rule sets that I have physical copies of. And I hit the character count on the post. I had to split it into multiple posts. Wow. Uh, <laughs> now, again, that's just core rule sets and physical copies. That doesn't include PDFs and that doesn't include all the other crap that you get with a role-playing game. I, I do. I, I really enjoy the core rule books. I, I enjoy reading them. I enjoy seeing how people approach different kinds of systems and the mechanics. But I also very much enjoy the way 
ways, the different ways in which people explain their rules and mechanics and, and how to play the games. I have a lot of different starter sets for RPGs. Not that I'm going to play a ton of them, but I really like reading the different ways in which people try to engage a new player. Just here's a new box, open it up and figure out how to play and, and the different ways that they, they bring people on into those games. I, I get a real kick out of reading a lot of those. I'm not going to play any extended RuneQuest you know, campaign ever in my life, but I've got the new RuneQuest starter set because I really wanted to see how they kind of onboard the new players there. And it's it's interesting to me to read those. So I, I have a whole lot of those. So yeah, Falling Stars ain't leaving my bookshelf, right? It's it's staying there right up next to, you know, all the others. I have Pendragon and Sovereign Stone and, you know, Spycraft and whatever else is on that shelf with it. I, I'm hanging on to all of them. I, I enjoy reading those things. So um, if we start talking PDFs, Mike is going to have me beat. And, <laughs> yeah, and I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, <laughs> and the, the next test I want to I want to run is I want to look at my Steam library count and compare that to my RPG PDF numbers and see who what's greater, which of those two is greater. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I, I'm not sure I would admit to either of those publicly if I were in your <laughs> So, uh, it, Dave, in terms of other solo games, solo systems that are out there, wh what's one from somebody else that you've enjoyed or, or had a good experience with? What's one out there that, that you did like other than Uva's little Athena system that you sort of stole and rewrote for yourself? I I don't really play solo that often. I'm, I'm blessed by having two sons who play board games with me and Blackwell and and of you know game stores that we can play. So I really don't play solo that often. And if I do, it's ninety percent on the computer. I would say yeah. probably hundred percent on the computer. Now I'm thinking about it. I mean, I've looked at honestly, I've looked at um, Hunters. I think it is the sub one. Mm -hmm. That's and, one again, of many sub, sub I, games out there. I haven't looked deep into it. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't looked deep into it. It just looks like a lot of work. It looks like I'm taking a college course and I just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I can't read anymore. I have to spend the whole day at the computer working, reading, doing graphics with everybody. I, I just don't find any fun in that, really. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say, I mean, and that's not to say there's not ones out there that are really interesting or anything else. I would say the one I haven't got in, in house yet, but I'm looking forward to is Purple Haze. Okay. Yeah. That kind of looks interesting to me. I'm really interested in seeing what they do. Um, that's for folks that don't know. That's the Vietnam game by by. I think it's Phalanx. That's yes. It's Phalanx. Yes. I think Phalanx is the one that's distributing it. I'm not sure if they were the original publisher. They might have been, but but Phalanx is handling distribution on it. I think Ares is handling the U.S. based distribution on it. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. So. Um, but most of the time, I mean, basically, Blackwell and I have a rule. I buy the game. He has to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically how we do all of our, our game buying you know so yeah. but we, we but we have expanded a lot of the things i probably would not have played by myself um i got an aliens game and this i think there's even a solitaire but it's all very generic you know as far as move left move right it's not involved and i actually thought maybe of trying queen of the skies um or something like that just to see how well it plays i haven't played that since high school and i really can't remember a thing about it yeah well the thing with these procedural games is uh like b17 and the hunters and so forth is you're basically all you're doing it it's basically a press your luck game okay because the only decisions you're really making are like in uh, the hunters do i want to get closer with my submarine do i want to back out you know just leave and go back to base that's pretty much what you're doing other than that you're not doing a whole hell of a lot to be honest with you and like you said it is a lot of work <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> looking at all these charts and everything you know something that 
might just be easier off with a, oh, I don't know, an app. Right. And that's exactly it, like an app or a computer. And the last time I pressed my luck, I got married. So I don't do that very often anymore. <laughs> I'm sure your wife appreciates the fact that you don't do it very often. Yeah, she, she can hear me. <laughs> she can, huh? Put her on. Let's ask her about what you. <laughs> you like, come on, honey. Come on. No, she's giving me the don't you dare. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Outside of solo gaming and tabletop AI stuff, since we have you here, what else is coming down the uh, the, the pipe from, from Lock and Load? We know you've got um, the first Victories game coming up. Like, we're, we're going to see some Napoleonic stuff from you guys. Uh, what what else is on the horizon for Lock and Load? Since we since have... got you here, we're going to bug you about this. No problem. Um, the big things that we have coming down is but we have first Victories. Um, that does have a solitaire card system that um, we gave our World War II one, the one from um, um, Bitter Harvest, to Terry, the designer. And Terry has adapted it for First Victories. We have um, a naval World at War 85 game, which is looks a little bit familiar to the old Victory Games uh, fleet series. Yep. But okay. it will have a solitaire system built into it. Um, I would say that's the one I had the most fun with playing in a beta form. I mean, we took it to some convention in Dallas, and we played like five or six games of it at the bar. Enjoyed it ourselves immensely. Um, we have a Napoleonic game called um, Close Quarter Battles, which is a little different because the, of the scale. It's um, I'm not a big Napoleonic guy, so as I destroy these names, don't write me hate mail. <laughs> um, Hugamont, I believe, is the place at Waterloo that there was a big fight over, right? Well, yeah. this, this game is basically just that fight at Waterloo. So the scale is a lot, um, I don't know if you want to say larger or smaller, but it's much more brought in than worrying about the entire battlefield. I do not know if that has a solitaire system in it right now. We're actually just waiting for the prototypes to show up for these games. Um, after that, we have, um, we, we nicknamed it A Day in the Life in Rome. Just goofing around. It's not going to be the official name, but it is uh, going to be a, a gladiator game, a chariot racing game, and you're running the Senate all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds busy. Yeah. Well, you can play any one of the three games separately. Okay. And the object is we didn't, we wanted these games to be fun and easy. We didn't want them to be locked on tactical in Rome. <laughs> yeah. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So um, the Gladiator game reminds me of Gladiator from Avalon Hill, but with, with cards instead of having to plot your moves and everything down. So that's a little bit way off. Um, we have Grenada for Lock and Load Tactical, and uh, the guys are working I, on. I the want next you to get that. One. I, I want you to finally get the Grenada one out the door just for the cover. <laughs> yeah, R- Ralph, Ralph. Ralph has done an excellent job. Um, he's had some health issues, so we tried. We're not pushing him on it. We want him to, you know, be feel better when he's up to it. Um, but that pretty much he's handed off a lot of the stuff to us. And then Devin will um, make up the solo cards and make up the solo setups for that game. And then it'll eventually, you know, come into being. We are working on um, brand taking lock and tactical. We're not going to reprint heroes of Normandy. And what we are going to do is redo the entire Normandy game. Okay. With new scenarios, the AI deck will be customized for that. It'll add the Canadians. It's going to add French resistant counters as well as uh, some changes to the to the system. 
It'll probably be an eight or 10 counter sheet set. And the object is to make what we're calling a theater game or a period game for 44 Normandy. But then we can do other things with it, like a Battle of the Bulge module, where the majority of counters are already there instead of trying to make individual games like that. Um, yeah. I don't, you know, if we went to the Eastern Front, I don't see a lot of people really wanting to buy the Hungarians, Romanians, Bulgarian, you know, all those guys in there. But if you make it, you know, 39 to 42 and you add all those armies in there, you add the Poles in there, you add the early Russians, you can be a lot more detailed with the Russian units, a lot more detailed with the German units, the Poles. And I think people have a lot more uh, enjoyment with that type of system like that. I, I just want to know in the, the 44 game, if you're doing Normandy, are you going to have the counters for the nuns? Yeah. The, the nuns from, from the longest day when they yeah. show up where the French commandos are, are in there and, and start, you know, acting as nurses. I, I like to throw things like that in there. Where people, people have caught on to this. Every single credits, there's a special surprise in there. One time we put we put as a play we put them as play testers. Winters is in one of them as a play tester, <laughs> and we throw little things like that in each one. And every now people know that somehow they got caught on that I was doing that. So now they try to find out who that, the special guy in there is. Who's the Easter egg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, uh, Dave, yeah, can you give us an orb? Oh, go ahead, Brent. I, I was just saying, Battles Magazine used to do that also back when Olivier was running was running Battles. That uh, there was one year that one one issue of Battles Magazine, all of the contributors, the the columnists that were writing for them, were uh, were listed as the Ulan Bator throat singers. That was that was in the credits. <laughs> so sorry, Brian, take it away. Uh, you can give us an armchair dragoons exclusive here, Dave. Okay. When is lock and load tactical digital going to come out of early access? Okay, I'm not going to say never. <laughs> <laughs> the reason we didn't take it out of we didn't take it out early access yet is because it's not that it's not let's say complete. It's because as we add each module, there are special scenario rules or modifications to the code. So I didn't want to say it's complete. Have you buy the next module, whatever the last one was? I don't even remember what the last one was. And then it adds some rules and it may break something or it has to be modified. Um, so that's really the only reason it is not out of early access, right? Because the second you take it out of early access, and if you read the thread, you can see them. Why is it in early access for so long? And I just say it's because we wanted to get everything in there and feel it's done. We're not just saying it's done just to say it. Makes sense. It's uh so so it it allows you to to rationalize all the bug reports. But well, you know what it is. If you look at if you look at the the Tom probably makes an update. Well, now it's probably twice a week. And as the scenarios are played, someone finds an error for some reason on this hex. The you know the tank can't shoot around. Who knows something yeah. strange. And it's because of special rules or we added, it's a lot of it's adding new rules to the system. And it was deliberately done. So the core game, have you ever, remember the old days, you buy East Front of whatever company and then you hit West Front and then you hit North Africa and each game was a separate game. But as he improved the game or modified rules or added rules, they never went back and updated, let's say the first game in that series. Yeah. Right. Okay. And there's a lot of good reasons back then why they didn't. We didn't want to do that. So we always try to make a core engine 
And that engine is where everything comes from. And then the DLCs are scenarios, battle packs. It adds rules, but because of being added as DLCs, it automatically updates the engine. So you're never having to worry about, do I have the latest game as long as you downloaded the latest update? Yeah, yeah. And you're just sticking with a single core engine. You're not going to have like four different versions of the core engine out there, right? No, the core engine gets updated as we do this. So you, whatever whatever the version is, it's one engine for that game. Yeah. I mean, and then and if any type of rules come up, like we had some rules go from one rulebook version to another, like let's say 5.0 to 5.1, we added special artillery, which people bitched about. And the reason we added it, because we are working, it's not even close, so no one ask a World War One module. And the object was we didn't have artillery rules that matched the combat in World War One. So we added that in there, but we made it an optional rule. And, you know, we just, you go into the options and you can turn it on or turn it off. And I always liked the ability to add more stuff into something, but always give the player the ability to turn it on or off for their own taste. Yeah, yeah. Amen to that, yeah. Dave, what should we have asked you if we knew what to ask you? <laughs> <laughs> you asked me if you knew what to ask me. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know nothing in particular uh, in, in general. Um, we did, uh, I will tell you the greatest problem with a computer game is programmers suck, some of them. <laughs> and the Nations at War team just up and quit, just disappeared one day. And um, we had to hire a whole new team. And the one thing I don't like about coding is, um, coding is like artwork. You know, you don't, every artist can draw the same picture, but they're always going to be different because of the styles and how they swirl certain things and the paint colors they use in the palettes. So the same things with the program. I've never, ever been able to give source code to some other programmer and have them work with it without them telling me it would be easy if I just start from scratch. <laughs> so Nations at War will get updated and it will be coming out um hopefully this summer that's what we're shooting for oh wow okay so that's the cool. question that the question that everyone wants to ask david i already know what it is it's when are we going to see point blank v is for victory when are we going to see the pacific version of that by well, the, everyone let's be clear <laughs> by everyone we mean everyone named bb mike who is on this podcast okay yes. that's who wants to know <laughs> maybe i don't know <laughs> Well, um, I I don't know because that's really Sean's call. I will tell you this, and I, <laughs> I really didn't expect an answer. Honestly, well, hey, I'll give you an answer. Uh, the next expansion for Point Blank Vista Victory is called Winter Victory. Okay, it's a relatively small update because we included. I guess 90% of the weaponry or units or however you want to classify in V for Victory. Again, trying to give you the whole experience, not make you buy six different modules so you can play everything. Um, this adds a few units that were left out and we added some terrain, but for the most part, it's it's really going to be a book of scenarios and terrain and some vehicles for Battle of the Bold scenarios. Okay. Um, the other thing we did for Point Blank, which I just got back today actually, is um, we're adding, we're making a tile map system that people can buy so they don't have to use the paper maps. And you can, some of the scenarios, as you know, it's like three across and two down. Yep. Now you can take the tiles and just build the map you want to play on so you don't need as, as big of, of a table area. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So can we get you to bring it out here to North Carolina in October for our inaugural Dragoons Fall Assembly? What is Have Fall Assembly? Give me an update on what Fall Assembly is. So we're we're... 
we we announced it on the previous podcast. We're having our own convention here in October. It's gonna be late October out here in North Carolina. The guys over at Gamers Armory are actually hosting us there. So we're gonna have the the game convention in the game store. Um, but yeah, we're uh, we're we're making the jump from being a bunch of digital events to in-person events, and and the first game convention is going to be the weekend of the 20th of October. I don't remember if the 20th is Friday or Saturday, but it's that weekend. Um, we're going to go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The store is actually going to open early on Sunday so that we can get some more playing hours in. We're going to have a couple of big tables to throw a few monster games on, and a whole lot of little tables. Um, but but they're giving us control of about half the store for our own little baby convention there, and uh, and you know. Don't have to worry about like an exhibitor hall. The exhibitor hall is the store that we are playing in, and it's it's one of the better war game stores in the country. So well, you know what? Give me some information on that because that's probably something we could bring World of War Five, Blood and Fury to, and some other games, and uh, you know, play along with everybody else. And, and I know you got a couple of dudes out here on the East Coast somewhere that wouldn't be too terrible. Well, hard. Jeff and Keith are on the East Coast. Uh, Blackwell's out here with me. Devin's on the um, West Coast. He's not really traveling now. Uh, his wife's yeah. pretty sick. Yep. So yeah, that that sounds cool. So so audience, you heard it. Start start sending Dave the uh, the email pressure campaign to show up in October and come join us. You promise us cookies. You get us to do just about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I can do cookies. That's not a problem. We got a couple of pretty good bakery. And actually, just down the street from this place is a pretty good German bakery. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've got a good German bakery down the street. Uh, plus, it's North Carolina. Like, there's mandatory barbecue everywhere. So. Well, yeah, you're hitting the sweet spots. I'll say that much for you. <laughs> <laughs> We might even get Brian to come down from Pittsburgh for this thing. We uh, we just gotta hey, make sure. If I have to come from Colorado, Brian, you gotta come. You gotta come from Pittsburgh, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got a quick question. Uh, I backed the uh, what the heck was it? A couple, I don't know how long it was ago. Uh, the storming the gap on Kickstarter, and I just want to tell you the, the new Blood and Fury. Oh, I don't know what the hell uh, date did I do this? Uh, 2020, I uh, backed it and. Uh, I just got to say the amount of stuff that you were giving, uh, you know, for the Kickstarter with extras and everything was quite amazing how much you received for the price. And uh, I'm just curious of how you were able to keep the prices as low as you are. Well, what what we're doing now is we are not publishing. I'm not buying 2000 games anymore or what I do is I do the Kickstarter, the crowdfunding. Um, we're pretty much exclusively using GameFound. And um, if we get 600 sales from people or 300 sales from people, um, we go to the distributors. They know that if they don't buy it or tell us. We don't make them buy it. We just, they just tell us, hey, we will commit to 200 copies or 100 copies. And then we produce that, and that's all we produce. We're done. And because the printer... Um, who's really working with us, she takes our yearly print runs, not our individual print runs. And uh, because she's getting the business exclusively and she knows that we're going to do X amount of games for the year or very close to it. Um, so it's kind of working out that way. Like one of the things we're doing now is the new uh, world at already five is in a four inch deep box. My shipping manager is going to kick my ass when he sees, hears me tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like 11 or 12 pounds now. Um, and again, the whole object is I want you guys, when you get a game, I want you to go, oh my God, I don't know what they're printing next, but I got to buy it because I've got everything I could possibly want right here for whatever the subject matter is and not have to buy, you know, 13 expansions. I don't think Ryan's wife probably had a similar reaction that my wife did when the, when the, the storming the gap box showed up and thought I'd ordered a piece of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> 
mean, and, and that, that was so actually a screw up, guys. Just so you know, what happened was we gave so much stuff away. We honestly, I'm going to say screwed up because we we had to make another box. That's why there's an expansion box. <laughs> we, yeah. didn't, we didn't calculate that well at all. And um, we really should have done a couple of things differently. One, there should always be an insert in the boxes. You'll see that now. And two, we're not going to make expansions anymore. We're going to, I think you've seen the last expansion from Lock and Load with First Victories. It will come in the box or it won't come at all. And being that if the stores don't order it ahead of time, the only way they're going to be get, getting these games is via the crowdfunding. So it's really because we've set up some deals with the printers and we try to, we're, we're doing better now. We didn't do as good with the blood and fear. I'm not going to lie. We had a lot of things that the printer came back and said, uh-uh, <laughs> you know, that's not going to work. <laughs> So we had to go, We had, I mean, the last thing we just did, and I thought we were done until last night, was we had to go make a whole brand new box because she literally sent me this picture and she says, she has all the stuff in the box and she has a ruler and it's showing you that it's at four inches, it's just going to fit. Yeah. You know, and she says, that's not going to work. And a lot of it is too, like we made these spiral bound books now. I, I, my goal is pick the brand that you like the most, be Ferrari, be Gucci, be Apple, yeah. whatever you think is a, a, a top of the line tier brand. We want to be that for our games. That's why you're probably not going to see any more, you know, non-spiral bound books and stuff like that. Um, it, it does raise the cost of the game, but it's not raising the cost of the game, which is going to cost an extra 60, 70 bucks to produce it. Yeah. I love the spiral bound rule books. Those are awesome. I mean, they do take up a little more space in the box. That's the only negative, but they are, it's just, they're so much nicer than just the, the usability is much better. It, it really is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think wasn't, uh, wasn't storming the gap, like the last thing to leave China before they closed all the ports for COVID. Yes. Yes. Or, we, or very close there too. I mean, not just in the wargaming world, but like it was one of the last boats to get out before they started shutting everything down, wasn't it? Yeah, it would have been because my uh, was shipped on January 24th of 2020. Yeah, it, it, the, the COVID thing, that's that's how I came up with the, the companion book. I couldn't yeah. find a way. I was I'm saying all these guys are locked up at home. Now's the time to play games, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, luckily the warehouse we use now uh, and then does postal mail u.s postal mail so they never got shut down until they until they got an outbreak then they had to shut down until everyone was clear again and that happened two or three times but um the people who got locked you know locked in how are you going to play and that's how we came with the the uh, companion books because it was very easy to get to people and let them play online yeah now that that is a great solution to a problem nobody could avoid right it's not like that was a problem of anyone's own making like we were all stuck in that same boat so it uh you know it's it, it's a solid solution to to a circumstance nobody wanted and everybody was stuck with so Dave, thank you for joining us tonight for uh, for talking some some AI stuff, some tabletop AI stuff, and and you know giving us some insight into lock and load. It's been way too long since we had you on a podcast. We'll, we'll try not to make it like six years before we bring you back. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll get you back before then. Oh, to be fair, Dave has shown up and supported the the ACDCs that we've held over the years, and, and has been a, a great partner for those things. We just hadn't had him on a podcast. You know, we, we had him on video instead. So, um, Brian, thanks for being here and coming up with other wacky ideas for podcast episodes so that's that's appreciated thank you and uh and mike thank you for slipping back into co-host role because you know finally getting back to it there yep and i want to thank uh, you guys for having me on the show and um yep. if you guys got ideas drop me an email i'm always listening uh 
I have some. I'm just not sure they're legal. <laughs> well, don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You're in Colorado. You can get away with a little more these days. <laughs> yeah. That, so. We can't put anything special in the boxes. I've been asked. <laughs> <laughs> Which just means we got to make a field trip. Right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so thanks to the guests and co-hosts here and thanks to the audience, especially for, for taking the time to listen. Uh, we'll catch you next time on another episode of mentioning dispatches as we wind down season. Two.